So that's uh, opening scene in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, the Mel Gibson movie on Jesus. Uh, uh, it starts in the, in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus going through his agony. Um, he's praying, sweating blood. And, um, but then he stands up and there's the devil and he looks him square in the face. And as he does that, the snake comes out from underneath the, the devil's feet and uh, Jesus, uh, you know, resolutely, with courage, uh, stomps his foot uh, on the head of the serpent, crushes the head of the serpent in that moment, huh? And that's how the, again, I'm not, I'm not spoiling the ending for anybody, we all know how it goes, but uh, that, that's, that's how that movie starts, and I, I guess, you know, the, the, as I was thinking about it, especially in relation to this gospel, uh, you know, what would make Jesus sweat blood? What would make him uh, ask God to take this cup from him? And because the, the things of this world uh, don't hold an, uh, an allurement to him. Um, he's tempted uh, like us, but he doesn't sin. There must be something in that temptation uh, that caused him such great agony. Yeah? I think to understand it, uh, before we talk about this gospel, is just to go back a little bit to the beginning with our first parents, because this is really what this is all about. Uh, you go back to the garden, uh, the first garden, and our first parents are there and they have everything, and yet uh, Satan comes out, uh, the serpent comes out, and they fall prey to his promises, huh? or his, his temptations. Eve takes the fruit and she says, you know, and gives it to her husband, she says, it's pleasing to the eye, it's good to the taste, and it's good for wisdom. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the threefold concupiscence. It's the basis of all our sins, huh? Um, so they, they have this rule that they couldn't break, and yet they broke. And, and that was, you, you, you can eat, you have dominion. You, everything here is yours except that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not yours. Stay away from it. Now, why would God do that? Uh, because it's not good? No, God created it, so it's good. What's the problem? The problem is this, and this is what we all have to remember. There has to be something that God has made that doesn't belong to us, that we can't have. Otherwise, we're like God in the sense, all right, you, you know, that's, that's proper to us too, and it's not. He's the creator, we're the creature. There has to be something that belongs to him and him alone that we can't change and can't control. The tree of knowledge and good and evil is it. What is it? That is God saying to us, this is right, this is wrong. This is true, this is false. You don't get to decide that ever. You never get to decide what's right and what's wrong. I do. You, your role in that is to be obedient. And you say, well, that, of course that makes sense. Ah, think about it. How many times do we compromise, thinking, well, 
I know it's wrong, but... And we come up with all sorts of excuses. We have all our little compromises with, with the truth. We lie because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. We, we steal because we feel as though uh, we're justified something. We, we make decisions about our married life or uh, our kids based on things other than what's true, maybe financial reasons, whatever it is. We, we all do it. We are just like our first parents. What did he say? It's pleasing to the eye, it's good to the taste, and it's good for wisdom. We were told not to do it, but... And then we do it, because we come up with all sorts of reasons. God says, this tree doesn't belong to you because it belongs to me. And if it belongs to you, and it doesn't, you know, it just is equally it belongs to me, then how are we different? You did not create yourself. I did. You belong to me. And that tree is it. Do not cross that line. And yet we did. So here comes, here comes Jesus in the second garden. And he is redoing. He's beginning to redo that thing. Now, when he got sent out into, into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days, what is he doing? He is redoing Eden. Stones into bread. Uh, throw yourself off the parapet of the temple and the angels are going to come and save you. Uh, all the kingdoms of the world in an instant are yours. Stones into bread, lust of the flesh. All the kingdoms of the world in an instant, uh, the pride of life. Uh, throwing yourself, or that's uh, throwing yourself off the temple, and having the angels catch you, and everybody's going to think you're amazing because you were spinning around in the air. Pride of life. All the kingdoms of the world in an instant. That's that's uh, lust of the eyes, greed, and all its forms. What they did, Jesus was going into the desert to undo. Where the first Adam failed, he goes in uh, to to beat the devil with his own game. Back to the first question. Why did Jesus sweat blood? Why did Jesus say, Father, take this from me? What temptation could have been so great? Because he's the one who says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He's the word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He could certainly handle uh, the fast. Uh, when, you know, he was tempted to throw himself off the uh, the, the, the parapet at the temple and the angels are going to come. And he, can, he doesn't need to impress anybody. He doesn't have that desire. That's, that's easily dismissed. And, and all the kingdoms of the world, there's not a kingdom in this world that Jesus wants for himself. I mean, who wants, uh, you know, some of the crazy countries and politics and politicians in this world? He doesn't want any of that. But there's something in that that he does want. Satan's been given power over earthly kingdoms for a time. But Jesus doesn't want those. What does Jesus want? What is he really hungry for? He wants us. He wants all of us to be with him. Paul's talking about being saved. He wants all of us to be saved. That's his true hunger. That's what he's after. And so when the devil comes and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms, which include, brothers and sisters, and here, is it, here it is, hell. Satan's saying, I'll empty out hell for you if you just bow down and worship me. If you 
Turn your back on the Father's will. If you're disobedient to the Father's will, if you just bow down and, and, and worship my will, I'll empty out hell for you and give all those people to you. Those people he loves and wants. That's his agony, perhaps. That's left up to scripture scholars. But think about it. People in hell, that, that is an agony for him. He wants all of us to be with him forever. And the devil holds it out to him. I'll just do it for you. Just like that. That's why he sweats blood, perhaps. That's why he asks the Father to take it away from him. But he, he doesn't do it because it is obedience to the Father that is the key to everything. It is the solution to our problems. Obey God. Right, wrong, it's right there in front of you. Stop equivocating. Stop dealing in moral relativism. That tree in the middle of that garden, when they took the fruit and ate it, basically they were saying, we are moral relativists. We decide what's right and wrong. Nobody's the boss of me. And you think, wow, I can't believe they did that. We do it all the time. We are disobedient to the Father's will. And Jesus is saying, I went into the desert to beat the devil at his own game. I went into the Garden of Gethsemane to begin my passion, to unfurl for you the banner of victory, to pour out into your life the river of grace so that you could be victorious against the devil, that you could overcome those things that tempt you, that you could be obedient to the Father's will, and then you could be with me forever in heaven. See, Jesus understands what the devil holds out is a lie. The only way for, for us to be with him forever in heaven, for, for, for that to take place, Jesus has to take the hit. Our human flesh, which Jesus takes on in the incarnation, has to be nailed to the cross, has to become the curse, has to be that thing where death is destroyed so that life, eternal life, might be open for us. What tempts you? The answer to your temptations isn't moral relativism, isn't to say I'll make up my own rules to decide what I'm going to do. It's to admit that I don't have control or power over, over the things in my life that bedevil me. I am weak in the face of temptation. I am broken and wounded, and I can't save myself. I can't overcome the very things in my life that are destroying me. I need Jesus to do that. I have to finally say I'm weak and powerless I can't beat this thing that's ruining my life. Only Jesus can do it. And I have to be obedient to how he tells me to fix it. He went and did this so that we could have that victory. This is his victory. This is him, the new tree of life, beating the devil at his own game. And we don't get any part of it unless we stand there at the cross and allow our sins and our temptations to be crucified along with him. We have to suffer too. There's no free ride. Yes, grace is free, but we've got to live it out. When Paul says, you, you, you've got to believe and profess. You know, this is a, a great a reading for, for the Protestants who say, all you've got to do is believe and, and, and say you believe in Jesus. Believe and, and, and preach it. No. Paul's language here is baptism. Yes, believe and, pre or believe and profess, that's baptism. And that is the sacramental life. 
Believing and professing the name of Jesus is to believe in the river of grace that flows from the cross into our lives so that we can love the way Jesus loves and overcome the devil the way he does it because it's his life in us doing it and not our own. And that that life is sustained in the Eucharist and it's healed in confession. So how do we answer temptation? How do we overcome those things that are ruining our lives? Stand at the foot of the cross. You want to be victorious. We all do. There's no other place where that victory takes place than right here. You have to stand at the foot of the cross and allow your temptations to be crucified along uh, with Jesus. You've got to do it. We, we <laughs> There's no cheap grace. There's no way for us to grow closer to the Lord than to allow the Lord to have the things in our life. He's hungry for your stuff. Give it to him. Let's finally say, I am powerless. I need grace. I need Jesus. I need the Eucharist. I need confession in order to become the person that the Lord wants me to be. There we go. Stand at the foot of the cross because that's the victory. And if you want the victory, you've got to stand there at the foot of the cross. There's no other way. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand and pray. I believe in one God.